Okay? All these things are free. And even Matthew Henry, you know, the Geneva, you know, Bible interpretation, everything is is great. And there's, you know, even the uh, Nicene and post-Nicene and It's a great set of software. Uh, yep. Uh, anyway, and a lot of other books, Imitation of Christ and the Practice of the Presence of God, and it's it's really wonderful. It's you know, and all that is free. So everybody must have it on their laptops or you know desktops or whatever, and they use it constantly. Right. So, when we go to what the word revelation mean, again we see here, here we click this, and this is the meaning of the word revelation. You know, uh, this is the strong dictionary origin of the word. How it, so it means appearing, coming, litten, manifestation, be revealed, or revelation. Okay. So God is trying to make something known to us. Something that we don't know, we have no clue about, and he is making that hidden information known to us. He does not expect us to understand, and he is not expecting to, you know, himself to explain it to us. But he is revealing to us something that is hidden. Okay. So we should expect not to understand what he is revealing. Our expectation of this book is that we are not going to understand it. And that's okay. Okay. Uh, so we're going to find that, you know, in some times I'm sort of, you know, going around points. I'm not trying to make it clear because I don't think anybody knows what it means. So we just have to go with it and accept it as it is. Okay. Um... So why is the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave to him? Why would God give Jesus? Isn't Jesus God? And we said that we're going to use this book to prove that Christ is God. So why would God give Jesus the message to give to the angel and the angel would give to John and John to give it to the you know bishops of the churches and then the bishops of the churches give it to us. Again, Jesus Christ is the Logos. He is, you know, God's wisdom. And only we know about the Father through the Son. Only God's wisdom is the one that reveals to us what He wants to know. God is, you know, Christ is the Word, right? And God speaks to us through, through the Word, which is through Jesus Christ. So it has to come through Jesus Christ. All this revelation has to come through Jesus Christ. This is one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is, here Christ is receiving this message, this revelation, as the head of the church, as the husband, you know, or the bridegroom of his, you know, church. He is receiving this prophecy on behalf of the church and giving it to us. So we can see that in two different ways. In the relationship of the Son to the Father, the Logos of the Father being spoken to us, being, you know, is one who's delivering us the message, or as Christ is the head of the church and he's the one who's receiving on our behalf. Okay. 
So here Jesus Christ, if you look at the word Jesus Christ, and it's, you know, Jesus is Savior, Christ is the chosen one. So Jesus is the chosen one, or he's the archpriest that's receiving on our behalf this this particular message. And he had, you know, here he said Jesus Christ, so there's no misunderstanding that the Savior of the world and the one who is the head of the church and the one who is on constant relationship with the Father is Jesus Christ who was incarnate and he who died and resurrected and ascended into heaven. To his servant, if we go back to the same verse, please keep the Bible in, in front of you or we can keep going back and forth here. To King James. Okay. Unto his servants, things which must shortly come to pass, right? Unto his servants. Here the servants will include the angel and include St. John and include everyone. So even Saint, even the angel or the angels are servants to God. Even St. John the Beloved, the one who was, you know, putting his head at Jesus' chest and he loved Jesus so much, he is a servant. Okay. And what does Christ say that if we do all these things, what we should say about ourselves? Right? We're not, you know, good servants. If we do all the commandments, we're still not good servants. So we are still servants. He called us brothers, he called us, you know, to him and but we are still far from reaching his love. Because there's a heresy that, you know, tries to equate Christ to us or us to Christ, one of the others, and that destroys salvation, destroys everything. Mark, you had a question? Um, well, just a him and his, it's not capital H's, but in this Bible it is, so it's just a Because that means it wouldn't it, be him. It it's going to depend on the translation, I guess, right? Yeah, that's And his servant, right? Here is capital, right? Okay. So it depends on translation. The capitalization depends on the translation. Right. And I think here they have the Jerusalem Bible. Uh, no, the Jerusalem Bible was locked. Okay. And they have Arabic actually as well. Okay. Yeah, you can put the Arabic and the English. Let's go back to our studies. Okay. So again, even the angel is a servant, even us are servants, and we should really treat God as our master. And maybe we'll, you know, lucky or unlucky that we don't have servants living in our houses or not ourselves are servants. But if you go back, and see how servants live. Right? They are really doing anything the masses want. Right? You are a servant. You know you're completely, most likely owned by your master. 
if he tells you you go work in the field, you work in the field. If in the middle of you know you work in the field, he tells you stop and go wash you know dishes. You stop and you go wash dishes. If the middle washing the dishes, he tells you stop and go do something else. You stop and you go do something else. So as servants, we are supposed to do exactly what our owner, our masters tells us to. Do. So this is something that we need to keep in our mind all the time. Shortly come to pass. And the whole time in front of God is something, it's a dimension to us that we cannot go through it except linear. But to God, it's not a linear dimension. He, he sees the whole time as one, you know, one thing. For example, if you look at this picture, right, you see this picture all drawn at once and final. If you are the, the painter or the artist who drew this, you would know when you put in the background, when you put the brown, when you put the blue, when you put, you know, the yellow, how you did this, you know, the hand, what the mixture you used of the colors and so on, and how you went about putting these layers of the picture together. Okay. But to us, you know, somebody who didn't go through this phase no, sees everything as one thing. Okay. If you come every day while the artists work on the picture, you're going to see the picture at different stages. To us, we are living as if the picture being drawn on a daily basis. To God, He sees the picture complete. He sees us today, but He knows what's going to happen next and next and next and next and what happened before and so on. So He sees the whole future. So to Him, time is not the same as ours. Again, we said since Adam and Eve, we've been living in the seventh day. Until one, we don't know. St. Peter tells us a day for the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. So, it's different scale. So, to, for two thousand years, we've been waiting for Christ, and he said he's coming soon, and he's coming soon. When I was talking to one of the, the fathers before year 2000, asked him, is it 2000, this is it? He said, look, will Christ come and die only for 2,000 years. And how about, you know, the thousands of years before that, why he didn't come? Why would he just do that only for 2,000 years? You know, the blood of Christ should last forever. So he was expecting the, the earth to last for a lot longer than this. Sending his angel. So the father is there, the son is there. Yes. Yes, in, in the Gospel of St. Luke, he said, in the fullness of time. The fullness of time means when everything is was prepared. And everything is prepared in the sense that from just St. Mary, a person who can, con you know, conceive and give, you know, birth to God and don't, you know, go with, you know, arrogance and, and so on, just waiting for that person Everything. So Mary, the Jews in a particular situation, the Roman Empire, the language and that you know. Yeah, everything is planned out. Like when they saw so, God coming from like, 
but I can't answer I can't answer that question because I don't know how how people feel time when they're in Hades. Exactly. But her point is, did God deliberately wait for that period so these people can go to Hades and suffer there? I don't think so. God is not uh, sadistic as we, you know, like to think of, or you know, as majority of us act like. Uh, God is very merciful. Uh, as Annie said, this is a natural result of our sin that we, end, you know, these people end up in Hades because of the of the sin. He wanted them to save. If it was possible that he would save them from day one, he would have done that. But this is not the fullness of time. He couldn't have done that. We ha- he had to go through the... You know, think about it this way. If God came imme- next day, if you know Adam and Eve gave birth, the first child was born was Jesus Christ and he died and you know, everything was salvation. Right? Two, three or four thousand years later, I would say, I could have been saved without Jesus Christ. I didn't need his salvation. I didn't need his blood. How can I prove that I needed his, you know, the salvation? He had to show us that by commandment, verbal commandment, people didn't live a righteous life. By written commandment, people didn't, you know, live a, you know, righteous life. By sacrifices, by prophets, by all means. But God exhausted all other means so man can be saved and he could, could not be saved. He knew that. But he went through all this process, the flood and everything, to show us that when, when the fullness of time comes and when he comes and he, you know, he saves us, no one can say, I could have done it without you, you know, your help. Because you can't. We spent so many thousand years. Yeah. We went, we went through many thousands of years and we couldn't be saved. We couldn't reconcile with God by our own righteousness. Because we don't have righteousness anymore. So all these things come into the word the fullness of time. Okay. You need to spend, you know, <laughs> a few years explaining this. Raise your voice, Hashem. Go ahead, go ahead. Raise your voice. It's related to what she was saying. Uh, why in the days of uh, Jesus, in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, although we believe that, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were in Hades. When the parable was said, he said that uh, they went to different places. There is a, a huge gap between them, and uh, the other place had the bosom of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How explain this? Uh, it's a parable, yes, but. When Jesus said parables, he meant specific things. So it's you know it's, it's, a, it's a, an excellent question, and it's been asked you know for hundreds of years. And the only interpretation I heard that makes sense is that Christ was speaking about what will happen, what the situation is going to be. Yes, everybody is in hate, but even in hate, these these righteous people maybe knew that because of righteousness they were waiting for the Savior to come and save them. The others have no place. You know, no hope. That's one way. And the other way is that, you know, after the resurrection, you know, after the cross, there are people already separated. He's, so he's speaking again when we said that to him time is irrelevant. He was speaking of something that, yeah, may happen in the future, but to him, he sees that as happening. Okay. So the angels. We're going to see that the angels 
play a key role in our, you know, in our ministry. God, you know, said about them, they are, you know, ministers of fire. Uh, and they're serving us. They are happy and very joyful because of our salvation. Uh, some of the fathers meditate and say the angels knew that God is love but they really for him for them to understand what does it mean for God is love is when they saw him on the cross and they wonder why would God the almighty the powerful will do that so they praise him for his love and his glory because of the salvation because of his love to us so even the, the angels here do participate in delivering us the message because they care about us and as we're going to see later on, they are in constant relationship with us and serving us. Okay. Yeah. His servant John, here John makes his name clear. He spells out his name. If we go back to his uh, gospel, he says, what does he call himself? The one that Jesus loved. Right? By the way, did Jesus love John more than anybody else? Sick question. He called himself the beloved. So did Jesus love him more than anybody else? No, but again, you're not answering my question. Did Jesus love John more than anybody else? No. How come? So why does he call himself the beloved? Have you ever thought about that? So I'm not the, I'm not beloved. He's calling himself that. Everyone in the room could be the beloved. He's just referring to himself. He felt the love so much more because he loved God so much more than anybody else. Because of his love. He felt favored with God because he loved God so much and he understood or he started feeling how much God loves him. God loves all of us. God is fair and God loves everybody. And I'm going to feel that God loves me more than anybody else when I start paying attention to the amount of love that God gives me. The same amount of love that he gives to Mark and everybody else. If I have the blinders on and don't see that love... I'm going to think God loves Mark more than he loves me. I'm going to be jealous of him. But God loves me in the same way he treats me, you know, maybe a lot nicer than he treats Mark. Right? But I don't see that because I don't love God as much. Okay. So that's, that's another thing that, about St. John, that he felt God's love more than anybody else. And that's why in his letters, after all these years, he kept talking about one thing and one thing only. Love one another. God is love. Love one another. Okay. He did not stop talking about this until he died. Okay. And in the Old Testament, you find that all the prophecies have a known author. Books like you know Judges and you know Chronicles one and two and all these things. You don't know who the author is. But. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they, you know, Daniel, all these books have a known author. Because a prophecy, you have to know who said it. Again, to know the authenticity of the you know, 
prophecy and to believe it and to believe the other things that this prophet is going to say. Again, the order of the message. The Father gives to Christ, Christ gives to the angel, the angel gives to St. John, and St. John gives to the heads of the churches and so on. And that shows the order that God chose in the ministry. God didn't just come and tell this message to everybody. He sent it to St. John through an angel to the heads of the churches in a particular order so the order in the church is preserved. The priests are there for a purpose. The hierarchy of the church is there in the purpose to preserve the order and the, the way God intended to do. God is a God of order. When he wanted to feed the multitude, the 5,000, what did he do? He divided them into 50-50 and then he sent the disciples to give each group their food. So if he ordered people when he was feeding them, and he wouldn't order the ministry and the service? I'm sure he would. And that's why we have the priesthood and the hierarchy in the priesthood as well. Okay. Now, who bore the second verse? Who bore record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all the things that he saw? So here John declares his role as a witness and that he is the only job he's doing in Revelation is his writing and delivering what he saw. Okay. And this is not a dream, this is not a fantasy, it's reality, something that happened to him and he saw that in person and he was awake. He was not, you know, under the influence of drugs or any of these things. Alright. Now the question to us, I mean, you know, what I'm going to try to follow in these writings is that this kind of font uh, is going to be question for us to ask for our spiritual growth. Again, the whole purpose is for us to grow spiritually, not just to our brains to grow. Um, do we witness to God? John here, he said, you know, I'm, I'm more record and, you know, to the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, the question to me, am I, am I also a witness to Christ? Do I bear, you know, the, te- you know, the record and do I deliver the message to the whole world or at least to my family and my friends or I'm an angel outside and inside home everybody sees me as an you know something else I'm going to say what do I bear witness to God at all times or only at certain times or none at all so I should ask myself some of these questions and you know Think about it. Here, the important verse. Blessed is the one who reads and hears the words of this prophecy and the ones keeping the things written in it for the time is near. And we went through some of these things. Another prophecy, by the way, that is very interesting. uh, A prophecy about the resurrection. In Hosea 6.1. Can we look at Hosea 6.1? 1 and 2. It's right there, but you know. Old Testament. It's Hosea in the Old Testament. One of the minor prophets. Chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. 
Somebody read? Go ahead. Come and let us return to the Lord. For he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live in his sight. Okay. The fathers take this as a direct prophecy about the resurrection. If you look at it, he has torn, he will heal us. He has stricken, and he will bind us up. This is what Christ did with the cross. After two days, he will bring us to life. In the third day, he will raise us up. This is the resurrection, right? And he shall live in his, you know, we shall live in his sight. Now read this before the resurrection. Does it make any sense? If I didn't tell you that this is talking about the resurrection, you know, if you don't know the events of the resurrection, would this make any sense? No. Until the resurrection took place, nobody could have said, oh, they're going to be, you know, the Son of God coming in, dying on the cross, and, you know, be in the tomb for three days, and then coming up, and being resurrected. The prophecy did not make sense until the event happened. And when the event happened, they said, ah, we can relate all these things that were said in the old days about this event. So this event must be true because it's been prophesied about it for hundreds of years and maybe, you know, 1,500 years ago. That's the power of the prophecy. It can say things and then happens hundreds of years later, exactly as it was said. So these prophecies in the in the revelation we don't know exactly how they're going to happen when they happen we're going to see them and we're going to know that they happen so let's not rush and say okay this is the antichrist his name is going to be so and so and he was already born he's going to have you know a green eye and a blue eye and he's you know born already in jerusalem and he's living there he's 27 years old and all these things that you know you hear on the on the tv shows right we cannot do that and we're not going to do that. Again, reading, though we don't understand, it strengthens the faith that the Lord is in control, make us more familiar with heaven, understand the word is a difficult place, and there will be a lot of trials and tribulations, so we be prepared, but at the same time, we know that we're going to overcome them. Also, we keep the faith and the tradition given to us even if we don't understand it. There are certain things we do in the church we don't understand. And a lot of people, what they tend to do is they don't understand it, they don't do it. It should be the other way around. If I don't understand it, I keep doing it until I understand it. I don't stop until I understand. No, I keep doing this, you know, whatever the tradition is telling me until I understand it. And hopefully God will reveal that to me and make my eyes open. Verse 4 John to the seven churches which are in Asia Grace to you and peace from him Who is and who was And who is coming And from the seven spirits which are before his throne Again this is the map of Asia Minor And and, all these things If you look at it This is where the circle here where this map at the bottom is. Okay. 
Right, again, here, let's go back and remind ourselves with the verse. Okay, let's kill this. We'll go back here. John, he's declaring himself, reminding people who he is, what he's doing, to the seven churches which are in Asia. Again, seven churches, the these can be taken as literal churches, and we're going to see later on the names and, you know, there were actual churches, or because seven is a complete number, we can say that this is message is to the, all the churches and to everybody who's in the church of God. Not necessarily these particular churches, but to everybody, and they are as a representative of everybody else. Uh, I noticed that the Protestants are completely against allegorical way of interpretation, which is, you know, that everything has a meaning. Uh, Oregon, you know, said that the Bible can be taken in the literal sense, seven churches that actually, actually seven physical churches, or can be taken another level uh, that has more ethical meaning and so on, and then more high level, like spiritual meaning that has uh, more depth into understanding that. The Protestants are completely against that, because they don't want to leave the interpretation to anybody in the allegorical way. And what we're saying, what we do here is we take the teachings of the Father, of the Fathers of the Church, as a reference. We don't go and invent anything new. I'm not going to come here and tell you this is the way I think that the you know, book of Revelation should be understood. What we are trying to say is this is what the fathers have done. And if you go back to this book about Abu Nathadus Malati, he goes and he cites actual writings of the fathers who said what. So when we take the, the summary, we are very comfortable with what we're saying. And these are righteous people who've been proven that they are faithful and their, you know, interpretation and understanding of the Bible is correct. Uh, all right. Grace and peace. Now, does grace come first or peace come first? We always used to say, you know, at least in Arabic, salamu ni'ma, peace and grace, right? Now, St. John is saying the opposite, or to say it correctly, we say the opposite of what John said, St. John said. Grace and peace, which one comes first, grace or peace? What is grace? Not the girl that's sitting, you know, next door or something, but what is grace? Blessings. It's a free gift that God gives to us, right? Something free God gives to us. So God gives us a free gift of His blessings, free, and then we receive that. And because we receive His blessings, we are living in peace. Look who's talking here. This is St. John, who's been persecuted, he's been tortured, and he's exiled, and he's now in exile, and he's saying peace. So what, what kind of peace he's talking about? 
I understand peace, you know, living in a, you know, green pastures and, you know, nice trees and big house and uh, maids and, you know, uh, people serving him and, you know, full, you know, seven course meal every meal and the whole thing, right? That's peace. That's our definition of peace, correct? At least my personal definition of peace. How can how can St. John say here grace and peace when there's big persecution and he himself is an exile? What kind of peace he's talking about? Perhaps it's the peace that we Okay, good. What else? As I said, this is, should be interactive. The introduction is gone. So now it's in the interactive part. Andrew. What kind of peace God is talking about? What kind of peace St. John is talking about here? Remember what Christ said? What did, he, what did Christ say about peace? My peace I give to you. And then what else? I'm sorry? Not like the world gives, I give, right? So God's peace is different. God's peace is not the materialistic peace. You can be in the midst of trouble. You can be in the midst of tribulation. You can be in the midst of, you know, in the middle of jail, being persecuted because you're Christian. And you have peace inside you because you know God is in control. Because, you know, you have forsaken the earthly. You know, as you said, you have forsaken the earthly and you are really living in the heavenly. So what are they going to take away from you? Are they going to kill you and go up to heaven? Hey, that's what I'm looking for. I'm going to take away your possessions. doesn't make a difference to me. This is the kind of peace that God gives. And what Christ promised is that we're going to have tribulations on earth, but we're going to have peace as well. So the question is, am I enjoying that peace in my life or not? And why not? Is it because I'm not receiving God's you know, grace? I'm not living in His grace yet? I haven't you know, worked on cleaning myself from sin and so on so I can enjoy His grace and enjoy His peace. I'm always in trouble and always you know, feeling... you know something's going to happen and the sky's going to fall and, you know, everything's going to go wrong and, you know, all these things. All right. Let's finish this verse. For him who is and who was and who is coming. We can look at this as two things. This is can mean that Christ who was who is now talking to him who was who was living with them on earth and he is to come and the second coming or talks about the divinity that you know Christ is now you know from the beginning and until eternity he is still the same so if you want to take it as Christ the person you know and he is alive talking to 
John right now and he was there before on earth and he's going to come again or the divinity either one is fine because you know both are valid the seven spirits which are before his throne there are two ways to understand the seven spirits which are before his throne the first one is these are the seven angels seven archangels standing before you know the throne of God which really doesn't make a whole lot of sense why if you look carefully here grace to you and peace from him who is uh, and who was and who is coming and from the seven spirits which are before his throne if the angels are if it's meant to be the angels the angels don't give us you know don't send us grace and peace they're not the source of grace and peace it's only God who is the source of grace and peace so these seven spirits have to be God as well to give us grace and peace because they are the God is the only source of peace so what the father said that these seven spirits are the Holy Spirit represented by its complete action what does that mean the Holy Spirit walks you know works in us in different ways somebody needs to be reconciled with God so the Holy Spirit will come and talk to him and tell him it's time for reconciliation somebody can be uh, sad the Holy Spirit is going to come and comfort them somebody needs encouragement the Holy Spirit is going to come and encourage that person so Holy Spirit works in a perfect way in us and this perfect way is presented by the seven spirits. Okay. Let's stop here today at verse 4. Okay. And continue next time. Okay. Any, any questions so far? Yeah. How does the spirit of God stand in front of the throne of God? Does God have a throne? Does God sit somewhere? But again, this is a way for us to understand. This is a w- God is everywhere. God is infinite. He's not limited. He's not going to sit. You know, I'm not going to limit him by sit, making him sit on the throne. Right? We need to see a throne. We need to see glory for us to understand and appreciate what He is. Because we also don't forget, we're in a physical body. And we're not going to understand except physical things. But I can't say, how big is this throne? What? A foot, three feet by three feet? hundred foot by hundred foot? hundred miles by hundred miles? How big is that throne? We don't understand. We don't know. As you said. And this is an excellent question because it shows exactly the complexity of what we are dealing with. These are things that we cannot understand and comprehend. This is somebody who doesn't know the language went there and is describing things undescribable. And later on we're going to see a lot more weird things about how describing, for example, God who's sitting on the throne. He's not going to be able to describe him. And on the throne sits, you know, Someone who sits, you know, somebody who sits, and he couldn't couldn't describe who he is. He is. Yeah. Right. Any other questions? Okay.
So next time, please come at seven, so we can be done quickly. Let's uh, pray. A general comment. You asked me before about speed or whatever. Uh, two things I just commented. On. I don't. I don't mean to like be saying anything, but like um, a lot of times I don't know the references you're talking about. You say, "Well, in Isaiah, this." Or, or, yeah, you're, you're making an assumption that we're good uh, Christians that we know. We're not recording us. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, it was.